The following program was produced by a community producer. Marlin 02148. I'm your guest host this evening, Ed Lucy, and my guest is Bobby Knox. Robin Knox. Thank you for having me, sir. Director of the public work here in Marlin. Uh, before we get into the winter and the DPW's uh, f functions and so forth, I'd like to uh, touch on some local news initially, and that is, uh, this is this is my first show since the act, live show since the election. Okay. I want to extend my congratulations to the winners, and in my view, there are no losers. The people that ran and did not win still in their own way have made a, a, ch a change or an opportunity for a change because they've raised issues that uh, maybe haven't been paid attention to by sometimes the people that currently are in office. And a lot of the people that are in office currently, the incumbents as it were, um, Ran unopposed, but there was some activity with it, and I would just leave those people uh, notice that uh, when they ran and were not successful this time, they did have an impact, and more important than that, I would hope that in the in the near future, when they plan their future politically, that they will make another effort because if you don't succeed the first time, sometimes that second time, as it happened in Ward Five there's a chance to win the next election round. So yeah. don't give up hope just merely because you didn't win. You have experience now that you didn't have before, and there are some things that may come up in the future that are important to you, and it'll give you a chance to take that message to the people. The other thing is December has a lot of activity, both personal, family, and, and professionally. And uh, the, for instance, the um, there's a concert on the 15th of December at St. Paul's Church here in Marlin that's, that's on Washington Street. This is a, an annual event, of uh, recall, and they, this has a, it's a fundraiser, but more important than that is it's a chance to get some entertainment and get into the spirit of Christmas. There's also, uh, on the 3rd of December, a winter concert at the Marlin Public Library, it's sponsored by the Library of the Marlin Historical Society, and that, I believe, is a free one. Free is good. And the other concert, which is something out of Marlin, it's, um, it's an award-winning musical, and it's, it's put out by the Greater Boston Stage Company. It's in Boston, and the, and the uh, being a Boston event, the ticket prices are a, a little bit more than you usually would pay locally. But... Um, it's it's the uh, all is calm. It's the Christmas truce of 1914. That's a little known event. But during the during the First World War on Christmas Eve, and this is based on an actual story. Um, all of a sudden, in the trenches and in, in the First World War, that's what it basically was a trench warfare. Really, in a lot of ways, just like it is in the Ukraine today. But um, each of the German side and the, and the Allies side just dug holes in the ground, deep holes and barbed wire in the area in front of them, and, and the people were shooting at each other. And when you were doing combat hand to hand, as it were, you were close enough to start with, you could almost see your opponents before you went out with your rifle to do, get to the other side of the, of the ground that was opened up. But this German soldier started to sing. Silent night, and uh, the shooting stopped. And literally, there was a 
a pause in the war, temporarily, not like in Israel today with four days or six days, but just a temporary pause. And then he was singing in German. The other soldiers that are his companions started to sing it along with him. And then the Allied soldiers did the same thing. And then war being a, an unreal world kind of world, then they started, after they settled in at Christmas Eve, they start shooting at each other the next day. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this, uh, the, the Christmas Truce of 1914, it's a, an award-winning musical, and it's coming to the it's Greater Boston Stage Company. And if you have any interest in something like that, the phone number is 781-279-2200. And that's the story of that. And um, I was saying to Mr. Roberts here, Mr. Robert Knox, uh, I, he was really supposed to do a show with me last week, and for a number of reasons we weren't able to do it. And there was a, uh, I thought the timing at that time was uh, appropriate because there was a forecast for a storm, but we didn't get it. That's good. We hope that stays like that all year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the reality is uh, the weather's turned cold, and it's that time of the year. Yep. And uh, how does, for instance, not, if not for last week, how do you prepare, how does the DPW Marlins prepare? For storms, in you go by the farmer's almanac. I I personally don't pay much attention to that because th through the years, they don't know day to day the w the weather. So I I kind of have a daily routine where I'm monitoring a bunch of weather systems year round, but uh, to try to stay ahead of it. And then we make a plan depending on what kind of storm, what time the storm is. What the uh, is there school the next day? What the temperature is? What the temperature to follow is? So there's a lot of things that I look at when we make a, a snow plan and a decision on how we're going to move forward with that that particular storm. Because as most people know, each storm is different on depending on you know not just the amount you're going to get, the the temperature and the timing and the day and a whole bunch of different things that you have to factor into to make a plan. Now, like first last weekend, had you anticipated snow on the ground? No, because even if it did snow, it, it was it, it, the, the ground's too warm for it to stick. Right. So I wasn't anticipating anything coming. Even if it did, it would just be flakes that would dissipate before it even hit yeah. the ground. Yeah. Now, it, um, even if you, even if you, it's not anticipated, because there's sometimes freak storms. Oh yeah, we've had them. Do, do you keep people on 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 alert, or do they, do they they get called in, or they actually are on site, even if there's no certainty of a storm? Well, if it's a freak storm that we're not that that isn't planned or isn't talked about or coming, it would be call-ins. You know, everyone knows that this time of year they need to be available and, you know, answer the phone for emergency off-hour calls. But 99% of the time, we try to, you know, look at what, what's coming and have a set plan where we're going to have X amount of pieces in at this time on standby. Now, if to say the storm's coming at 10 p.m., we may have them in there at 9 p.m. if it comes a little early. Sometimes it may be an hour later. But we try to, we try to uh, get people here, get them ready when the storm's anticipated so that we can be out the door and getting material down on the ground to keep it safe for our residents to travel. Instead of years ago, I've been around here a long time, 30 years, we used to get called in. By the time you came in, there could be two, three inches of snow on the ground. You're going to travel to get here, and you're, you're always playing catch-up. So we try to be a little bit more proactive in the planning uh, of the storm. And again, sometimes that works for you more often than not, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't materialize to what it's supposed to be. And, you have a few people here ready to go, and but I'd rather be safe than sorry. Yeah, and and actually, you have less staff now than you used to have, don't you? Oh yeah, lot yeah, lot yeah. less yeah, yeah. So uh, we have some good equipment. Uh, the, is that the difference? We have some good equipment. Uh, that was the biggest concern that I had. It's been now twelve years. I've been the director and before that, the assistant. So it's been a while. But my biggest concern back then was equipment, uh, old tired equipment. We had some more staff but we didn't have very good dependable equipment. And every year we try to upgrade and add a few pieces here and there. So right now we have some very good dependable equipment. And, um, you know, our numbers have hovered around the same 37, uh, you know, union employees. That's for all? 37 for, ev for everything, yeah. 
but we we've got creative and we tap into other departments where we're, if it's that big of a storm we'll use you know cemetery staff or public facilities or you know any any piece of equipment that has a plow on it you know on a bad enough storm other departments uh, do get involved and kick in and help out so that's the only way to do it now because you never can have enough staff uh, available for these you know dozen or so events you get all year you know so um, yeah we, we that's how we make it work do you, get, do you rely someone on outside contractors we we do for big storms we do not so much for the small sanding events you know two or three inches we we're, you know we're fine I would say and you know with what we have getting by but when they're talking six plus inches and in plowable snow that's another problem that we have in years past there was a lot of contractors but I talked to my counterparts in other city and towns and they're all struggling to get contractors you see even if you drive down any of the highways 93 128 all the digital boards saying looking for plow contractors for the state they're just not available people uh, you know don't do it as much anymore and it's uh, as they say it's blood money a lot of these uh, you got to you know you got to pay the high insurance rates and you have all this equipment and it sits there waiting for that snow to fly so uh, it's not as appetizing as years ago for people to to do it you know uh, now is there, is, there, is there a system in place where uh, you get to uh, the fall and you 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 contact the prior people you had before to see if they're available, but but sometimes you get outbid, don't you? The, the uh, uh yeah, so we all do. We, we we our our rates are all competitive with the bordering city and town. Some things were a few dollars more, something were, but they're all pretty compatible. We do it's probably starting in uh, September. I start getting the list ready and calling around, and we're preparing for winter, going through all the the trucks. We we put them to bed for the year in good shape We're, so then we when we check them all out in the beginning there might be some minor things we find but we try to be proactive in the maintenance of, of the equipment and uh, but yeah we, we compare rates but there's like I say there's just and then we post it out there and we're looking for equipment all the time and new contractors there's just not a lot of outside contractors anymore like there was years ago yeah, I, I know someone years ago uh, had a, a repair business, and so uh, he thought he'd make a little extra money in the winter, and so he, uh, he bought himself a plow, outfit the plow, went through his truck, yeah. went to work. In fact, it was in Malden, and in the beginning of the storm, uh, and, and I think he got a little, little, little bit of a late start, and about uh, within an hour or two after starting, he broke the blade on his plow, yeah. And uh, so it ended up the city was uh, accommodating him a little bit on on the time that he didn't plow, but there was instead of making money, he had to replace the plow. See, that's the thing. If people people think th that these guys are making a lot of money out there doing it, so I'll give you a, a, an idea. So, an average regular pickup truck, no sander, I think it's a hundred dollars an hour for the truck. So ten hours, they make a thousand dollars. They got to pay a driver. Say so they're giving them thirty bucks an hour, so that's three hundred off of their thousand. They got to put fuel in it for the storm. All it takes is them for, to break one cutting edge, hit one thing, and now they're 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 behind the eight ball. So uh, there's not a, at the end of the day when everything's paid, their insurance and their st their driver and their fuel. It might seem like it's a lot for them to make thousand dollars, but they're not making a thousand dollars. Yeah, and of course the truck gets abused a yeah. little bit too. Oh yeah, the wear and tear of the vehicle on the city streets, you know, hitting high manhole covers and gate boxes and different things are a little different than plowing a, a, a parking lot or a driveway. So it, it's difficult. It, the, the, the game has definitely changed in all the years I've been here where the contractors used to be plentiful and now that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you find now with the changes in Malden with the diversity in the population that people not always tune into the rules that change because of the winter weather, uh, for the, for instance, parking of cars. I think the parking can be challenging. Uh, we try to accommodate the, the residents by doing something different now where we don't actually activate winter parking like we have in the past until that first storm Which I think was an comes. excellent thing to do. Yeah, so like a year like last year, I don't even know if we, if we put it on at all last year the parking ban. But in the years past when we did, 
November 1st, you know, and sometimes you don't get snow till after Christmas, we're doing one side parking. So it definitely benefits our residents. It does make the first storm, depending on what you get, how much, can be a little hairy with, with the parking situation. But I think overall it was the right decision to do to give more parking for the residents for as long as we can. And then once it actually hits, then we got to make the changes yeah. to, to the one side parking. Now they also, don't they give, instead of ticketing people when they, when they had the one that went to parking, they just send, they give them notices initially or warnings about parking? Yeah, there's a lot of warnings and a lot of notification before it actually gets to a fine or a towing. It, it doesn't really get to that until there's a, uh, a parking band on for a major storm. And there's all kinds of notification with that on Facebook and Twitter and social media and the city and all, the, and all that. So there's a lot of notification before actually someone actually is getting hit with a fine or, or a tow or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that the, um, that the ticket situation gets to be a problem compounded by the people, what the, people get tickets and then if they get towed, a big, that's a lot, big expense. They get a tow charge, they also have a storage charge and they have a ticket. Yeah, like I say, it only gets to the tone when it gets to uh, a major storm. And at that time, um, you know, we have to continue to do our job to make the roads safe for passing for public, for public safety. Um, so it's unfortunate that someone may have to get towed, but it's also necessary sometimes in order to clear the snow to get emergency apparatus around the city. Yeah. I know you don't have any kind of... Uh, uh, statistical record, but would the problems more be uh, tuned into people who are relatively new to the city and therefore they weren't aware of the rules because of recent residents and uh, maybe new homeowners possibly and uh, they don't use the yard for whatever reason, they leave I, in the street, they find out oh, you can't do that. I think there's a lot of, a, a lot of uh, absentee landlords um, there's a lot of people that, that, yeah, there could be new owners that don't know the rules and regulars, so it's a combination of, of things. I would say that one thing that's definitely helpful to us, even though right now we're not activating any winter parking, if you have a driveway, get in the habit of yeah. using your driveway and, and have off-street parking because that day and that time is going to come where we're going to need to get down that street to, to sand or to salt or to, to plow, and uh, it's a good habit to get into for the winter to get off the street. Yeah. In fact, as I think of it, I know in the years gone by, which they probably will do in the futures too, the, the police truck comes through the city too in the summer season out and the, with the parking rules. Yeah, or, when, uh, once it gets to a big storm where we're gonna tow, they go, you know, I don't know if it's an hour or two before they start towing and they start announcing cars that have to get off the street and they announce it over the, the bullhorn there. About the, but we try to stick to the main drags first to remove vehicles, and, and we're not looking to, even though it's important to get all the streets clear, we're not looking at the side street of the courtway at, the, at that time of the storm to, to get them off the street because yeah, yeah. we're more concerned about getting the main arteries clear. In the, in the, um, in the major focus, is it the plows are spread around, or you, or you take one section of the city first or one, one group of streets first and go on to a, have, some have more priority than others? So we, we have different phases of the, of the operation. So we go to a, like a partial sanding. If it's going to be a smaller one inch, two inch maximum storm, we try to put one big sander in every ward, two, two on the main drags and then a few smaller sanders to do courtways and stuff. If it's a full out sanding operation where we're talking we're going to sand and salt it's going to be three, four inches, and then plowing. We'll we have more pieces that we'll add with contracts and stuff. So it all depends on really the timing, the the conditions, and the amount that, that how we make a determination on what way we're going to go with the the storm. The um, the plowing with the with the bike paths is that more of a problem than it used to be with with this curb to curb kind of plow. Um. So the bike path. And the election's over, so whatever. Yeah, the, <laughs> so the bike path, we do not salt the bike path. And, um, you know, my theory on that is, uh, you know, there's not many people, I don't think, that are riding the bikes when it's below freezing on the bike path. But what we do do is when, when we go to plowing and we're, we're plowing the streets, 
during the plowing event, we do have a small sidewalk plow or a bobcat that will plow the path from one end of the city to the other for, so people can use it to walk or walk down at the school or whatever. But I'm not, I don't anticipate during the winter months, during the cold and the snow, there's many bikes on the path. Um, so, but we do address it as part of our operation. Yeah. But I was thinking maybe also that um, um, you wouldn't be plowing to the curb, and sometimes when the sidewalks are kind of uh, had a heavy storm, people would tend to walk in the streets a little bit curb, near the curb, but the bike path is a, might be a disadvantage for them to do that now. Yeah, yeah, there's pros and cons on, on everything. Do you push it to the curb and push the snow back on the sidewalk? Do you block the block the access way to the, or do you, you know, and then there's cars that yeah. don't move that you gotta go around. So we try, to, we try to clear as much of the road as possible. Curb to curb would be perfect. It does create some problems both for the homeowners in doing that because a lot of times we get the calls that the sidewalk has been shoveled and then we plow it back in, which is, just, is part of the, operation is going to happen. So what we recommend is don't shovel your sidewalk till the storm is complete and we're done pushing back. But in a perfect world, you'd have it back curb to curb on every street, and we try for that. It's just not reasonable to get that on every road. Yeah. The, um, the res responsibility of people in terms of their own area and, and a, a property, the, the, the sidewalk, uh, the, the residents are supposed to deal with that themselves, are they not? Anything abutting their property, they're supposed to supposed to shovel. Right. So if they're in a corner house, they they have to do the whole corner. Um, that's and we do have enforcement that does it. It's not by the DPW. It's actually under the compliance or the Board of Health Department code enforcement that goes out after the storm, 24 hours. And if there's problem areas that have not been done, and usually on main roads and access ways to get to school and stuff, they will find you and notify you about yeah. clearing the snow. Yeah. I know uh, uh, in other years they've, they've, they've made available uh, shovelers for people who aren't able to do, do it themselves. They, I know they've, they've got either with well, the school children in the upper grades could, could go shovel your walk for you if you, if you, could, if you went up to doing it yourself. So. Is, is that still kind of a, a, a possible? Years ago, through the city council and the Mizzards, there was a, a program where they had volunteer shovelers, and they would have to work out their own cost with the homeowner. And they'd have a list online saying, you know, Bob Knox, Ward 8, uh, you know, Ed Lucy, Ward 7. And the, and the homeowner could call these people and try to negotiate, you know, what they needed for service. I don't know if they still do that, but I do know that Kathy McMullen through the Teen Enrichment Center has uh, kids that do help us out where if someone is really in a bind, uh, she's been great with having her kids that go there help someone out. So that's been a, a plus for the city. But uh, I don't know if there's still a list that, that you can actually call or not yeah. this year. Yeah. The, uh, the city doesn't, doesn't bring in outside volunteers. Like uh, I know years ago they like to... The, the transportation, the, the, the trains would, ha would hire people for the storm that were just private citizens and they would do some of the shovel and clearing. No, we don't do anything with, the, with having, uh, you know, hiring any shovelers. Yeah. A lot of the local landscapers and, and private people do that. Um, but no, we don't, we don't hire yeah. shovelers. Yeah. Yeah. W what about areas where uh, there's less spacious to park the car or you only go, go on one side and you get multi-unit homes with sometimes several cars in each unit and all of a sudden w what do the people do to find the space? It's difficult. There are areas of the city that are, that are difficult no matter what you do for parking. Um, but fortunately for us we do the best we can working with our police department and, and Chief Cronin uh, and their staff. They have a couple of officers that are really proactive and work the snow and help us, you know, knock on doors and move cars in all, in all efforts of getting the streets clear. Um, they do a great job with assisting yeah. us when there yeah. is a trouble area. Yeah. But so, you, uh, you have public, like for instance, if in a bad storm, people could use this parking a car in the schoolyard? Yeah, no? yeah, we do use the, the, the parking garages and the school parking lots. For, to get off street parking when it's a bad enough storm. 
that's different than some city and towns have for parking, but in Malden we have to do that. The only negative to that is that you have to get them out of there at some point in order to then clear the lots at the schools to reopen the schools. So there again, when I say, um, depending on what time the storm comes in, so if the storm comes in on a Friday night, you know, we've had times where we'll let them stay there for two days, and then we take our time to clear, have them get out on Sunday morning, and then Sunday we'll clear the lots. If the storm comes on Tuesday night, and it's six to eight inches, and they're parking there, we, you know, we'd want to try to get them out of there at a reasonable time where we can then get the lots and the grounds ready for opening of school the next day. So that's a huge part in making a decision because you've got to worry about where the cars are going to go and then where are they going to go after when you're going to get the schools and the grounds ready for opening a business the next day. Now, uh, is, it, is it usual that uh, after severe storm, there may be a problem for the rubbish pickup, so they have to either cancel or change the day to push the we, time back? We've had that. We've had that, again, uh, depending on how much snow. Well, the people don't even put out the rubbish because they can't get we, to it. We have that, too, where, where, you know, the vehicles, they can't get around during the heavy storm, and they'll stop in the middle of the day. I'll get a phone call saying, hey, listen, it's just coming down too hot. It's not safe for our trucks to be out there. Um, or they'll, they'll say, we're not going to go out the next day because you just got, you know, 10 inches overnight. Uh, we're going we're to let you clear the road so we'll be a day late. So there's a, there's a lot of discussion. That's one of the things that we do have to think about, again, depending on the severity of the snow, on how we're going to handle trash and school openings and school closing and things. That's all things that we talk about with the mayor and, and the staff beforehand when there's a major storm um, on what we think the, the, the best way to attack it is. It's not just the day and the time when the snow was coming down. It's how do we react before it and after it and all the preparation that has to take in order to move the city forward. Uh, I, I think back uh, to many years ago, even before your tenure, uh, that there was a huge storm in the end, towards the end of February, which was kind of late in the year. Yeah. And uh, it ended up, obviously, that uh, in those days, with the equipment that was available and the way things were done, storms like that weren't usual and therefore were a, a real problem with the cars, even though there was a lot less cars. And so what happened was they called the mayor before the council because the the council were getting phone calls from their constituents about moving their car and shove, getting the car shoveled yeah. out. And uh, so the mayor came down and uh, explained the procedure as you might do if you were the one called yeah. in. And you were, maybe the DBW director was there too. But the, the emphasis the mayor tried to point out was this is an unusual storm. It won't happen again for a long time. And what happened was there was another storm a week later, same thing. And yeah. people had left their cars on the street. Literally, the uh, snow was from the first storm was up to the near the top of the tires near the fender, and the second storm there. And so it resulted that the snow was up to literally to the window. And so cars sat there for for not for a day or two, or, but yeah. for maybe a couple of weeks. And it ended up there was a, when the Residents make the phone calls. They call the councillor, maybe. Yeah. And the councillor has no choice, but he calls someone who might be able to help out, which was beyond help in yeah. those days. So yeah. that doesn't happen uh, too often. That was a long time ago. and probably hasn't been storms like that since. I remember uh, April 1st, 1997. Excuse me. Um, we were talking the week before about preparing ball fields and opening day for the high school for uh, for baseball and all that, the weather was great. And then we got, I don't know, 20-something inches of snow on April 1st. A couple of days later, it was all gone. It was The temperatures were in the 60s and it melted. But so you, you never know. I mean, the worst for me is, is if you, you know, you get through Christmas, but January and February is a short month with the 28 days. Um, and then you start getting into March and you're thinking about other things. So January and February can be difficult because it's normally cold, colder and the snow stays around longer. When you get later into the year, into March, if you get snow, it normally doesn't last as long 
and you get some relief there. It's tough for the back-to-back -back storms like 2015. I hope we never see anything like that again because that would be very difficult. Um, but, you know, people got to be realistic. You've got to take it as it comes. We'll clear it. Do everything you can to assist us by staying off the road. And we're working hard as we can to get the roads clear. My staff, when it comes into storms like that and major uh, city events, I, they do a great job in responding. So just know we're out there doing, doing it. We're not going home and going to sleep. We're out there working. And every street's not going to be perfect um, and down to the pavement you know, as quick as we'd like. But it, it's a process, and we're, we're, we're working hard, as hard as we can to clear the roads. Yeah. How, how do you deal with the, uh, the after effects of the storm when, or even uh, from the beginning to end, because there's a limit to how long people can really stay out there working, either because they get fatigued or uh, it just doesn't make any uh, it's a juggle. Sense. It's a it's a juggle and uh, juggle and match on how how we do it. Because you you know after a while you can you know you 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 can, can't drive so so long. Sure. So we try to you know and years ago when I first started, you know, we had a uh, hundred guys. So you had pl you had drivers and you had spears that were fresh that were waiting to go. We don't have that anymore. So normally we have, if it's a big enough storm, everybody that we have is in a piece of equipment working. Um, so there are, there have been times where we would have to shut down, get as far as we can so cars can safely get around, and then come back in six to eight hours and uh, give everybody a rest and have them continue on. Um, so we just gotta see how it goes. You know, normally we'll break them into We'll say, okay, the, the snow stops. We'll keep half the, half of the staff working, send the other half home. So it, it's a juggling match, yeah. all depending on how it's going out there. Yeah. Now, uh, there are some things that people can do to help themselves without depending on the city, or they can help themselves just by oh, yeah. anticipating that uh, private property is their problem. You you only dealing with the public street. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I would suggest waiting until the snow has stopped and we're done pushing back to then take care of your abutting of your property and your driveways and sidewalks because we're going to continue trying to push back to clear the roads, uh, especially if there's more snow coming up in the, in the forecast um, and the temperatures are cold and we're not going to see much melting. We've got to try to push back as far as we can to make room for the next. So... Um, you know, I would say wait until the storm's over and you know that we're done pushing back and then clear your property. Keep your cars off of the road for the winter because, you know, it's going to help us do a better job. And uh, if is anyone, a neighbor or, or someone in there that needs help, help your neighbor, try to, you know, everyone pull together. We're all looking for the same results and we're all in it together to try to make the city safe and passable. And if everybody just does their part and a little bit more, it will go a long way. Yeah. I, um, having a longer history than you, I recall, uh, maybe it was when the caucus was the governor. That's the time. We had bad snowstorms then. Yeah. And it was, uh, I lived at that time in, in the Forest Hill area, which was on a hill. And, um, you were you were almost really stuck. You couldn't go out very yeah. far. You couldn't go to work, and you, the transportation was was minimized. And and, uh, and I can think of people who bundled up, got out, they shovel their walk, and they helped their neighbors. And there was yeah. a, uh, a lot of this interaction that was an exception rather than a rule. And then, kind of when the storm ended, the snow melted, you went back to the old routine of you see the neighbors, you wave, but you didn't spend much time interacting yeah. socially. I, I remember being a kid in 1978, the blizzard, and they were, the city was That's shut. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, the city was <laughs> shut down for how for how long? A long time. Yeah. I, I remember my father, we had a little little uh, sled and pulling me down to the, the corner store on Beach, which isn't even there anymore, where you could get milk and things there. Um, but they were shut down for days. If you had that much snow now, the the demand and the uh, the way we handle it has come a long way. Um, you wouldn't have been shut down for as as long, but yeah. And back then, you you seen I remember seeing nobody is driving. Everybody is for days. Well, in fact, they I think they had an emergency where you in theory drive. you yeah. weren't supposed to drive. Yeah, yeah. For 
like I said, I was I was young then. I was probably nine or ten. Well, I wasn't so young then. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember the sled and getting pulled around the corner to Beach Street to the the little store that used to be there that's no longer there yeah. to get milk and yeah. yeah. I um, I I owned a store at that time. Is that right? Yeah, and the, the, I bought it from a friend of mine. And he told me, he said, Ed, what are you going to see happen? He said, when it's a bad storm in the winter, and it was just a local convenience store. Yeah. And he said, that you, you'll see people come in for the milk and the bread that you don't see any, any any part of the year. Yeah. And he said, then when the, the storm is over, you won't see them again until the next storm. And I actually made a couple of trips over to Charlestown to pick up milk and hoods to bring back to the store, and, and people that didn't you didn't see at all said asking for one half gallon, they'd ask for two or three. And yeah. Say no, you could only have one. <laughs> well, that's like even even now, if you notice when there's any talk of any storm, yeah. Stop and shop, a market, a crazy. Before, Panic in before, the streets. Before, yeah. yeah. And they're they're buying bread and milk like they're going to be locked in the house for days at that's, a time. That's true. And it's uh. You know, it's it's just different. Yeah. You know, different times. Yeah, that's what blockbusters used to do real well. <laughs> People yeah. get the get the tape for the movies and yeah, and, uh, yeah, blockbuster video. They used to be on the corner of Maplewood and Easton Ave. Yeah, and there was one on Broadway too. That uh, back then, that was a big thing. It was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, whoever owned them was smart. He sold at the right time. <laughs> I'm sure he did okay. Whoever that yeah. guy was. I think he bought an NFL team, if I remember right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. he's okay. He's not yeah. not worrying about getting coffee money. <laughs> now, uh, that's the winter. When there, when we're in the uh, June, July, and August kind of uh, times of the year, what's a lot of focus from the DPW for uh, that time of the year? So with the, in that time of the year, we're busy cutting grass, preparing ball fields, Planting trees, fixing sidewalks, potholes, uh, any kind of quality of life issues that happen in the city, we're involved somehow. Yeah. You know, the first person that they reach out to for service is the DPW. Yeah. We assist with all the other departments on anything that they may need. But that time is, you know, it's a little less stressful because you're not so much under the public safety gun with the snow. Um, but you're fixing sidewalks, you're doing pouring concrete. I mean, I'm actually pouring concrete because of a couple of situations we were a little later. On Thursday, I got to pour six yards on Thursday, which I normally don't like to pour this late year, but I got to close a couple up. But no, that's what we do during the summer months. Um, you know, so you, you, depending on the time of the year, you're busy, but just different kind of busy with different things, yeah. you know. The, the, um, it's, in more recent times, there seems to be a lot of activity in, in street work and side work, more than just repair work. There are actually seems to be doing a lot of surface stuff, uh, smoothing out the surfaces, and, uh, like at Medford Street or some of these streets oh, yes. are utilized a lot. And uh, that, I gather, would come from extra windfall monies from the state or from the government? I think there's a bunch of different pools of money that they, that they use, and some of it's bonded and some of it's, you know, granted. But uh, we meet every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, from March to November with the team, with the mayor, a, a standard meeting every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, and we go over infrastructure, water work, sewer work, tree plantings, which streets, what's the, the PCI of it, the pavement condition index, what ones we're going to attack, which contract. So we have a meeting every Monday morning for the, all those months going over where we're at, how many we're getting done, what contract? Um, there's only a few months here now, December, January, February, that we don't meet on the on the roads because we're now into like the winter. Um, but yeah, that's we do a lot of road work more than more than ever. Um, each year we put out multiple packages for both water, sewer, and road reconstruction. The um, one of the big expenses the communities have is rubbish. Yeah. Yep. And that has to do with uh, picking it up and putting it somewhere. Yeah. And uh, obviously, it's, it's it's done by private contractors. Yep. And uh, sometimes it gets a little confusing. What is 
what is rubbish and what is recycle. Yeah, so the, so the uh, JRM had the contract for many years. Uh, they sold out to a company called Republic. Um, I think there's probably seven or eight years maybe left on the contract that we, that we have. Um, you know, back in the day when Mayor Howard negotiated this contract with JRM, um, long-term contract, you know, there's always discussion, you're not going to please everybody, but we made out on the deal for the fact that locking in the price, most communities pay for recycling. We don't pay for recycling. We get paid for it. They, from the time that the recycling hits the curb, the hauler owns it. Whether the market be good or bad, they own it. They need to get rid of it. And that's going to seven or eight more years to go? I think seven or eight more years, yeah, yeah uh, on that. And uh, the trash, the trash piece, even the contract with the fees, if we, once that contract's up, or if we were to go out to, to bid again, um, cost-wise, we're getting a pretty good deal. I think we're like $1.6 million now, somewhere around there. But if you were to put that out now, you'd be well over $2.5 million for the same service. So, um, you know, it was smart back then, and it worked out in our favor as far as cost-wise. Um, for us, we'll see where it's going to go when this contract is up, and we're the, looking at neighboring city and towns and what they pay. We don't pay as much as our bordering city and towns for yeah. trash and rubber and uh, recycle removal. Yeah, but the the trash goes to the landfill. Yeah, or burnt up at Resco. Yeah, and and that's responsibility of the rubbish company to, to take it at the curb and get rid of it after that. Yeah, yeah. and. Um, is it just sit there? What happens? At, uh, they just keep put, dumping it until they run out of... Uh, uh, they, they take it to like Resco up on the Linway and it right. gets burnt. They, yeah. burn, they burn it off? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's both landfills here, and they, but they burn it up there in Resco. There's one. They have a couple different ones that they use. But again, from once at the time it hits the sidewalk, they, they own it. Yeah. Um, you know, we set the rules as far as the barrels with the stickers or the blue bags and all and all that and maintain and manage the money piece on that end. But once it hits the curb, they own it. Now the, um, the, the confusion sometimes is, um, from my perspective, is what's recyclable or what's rubbish? And I'm going to give you a quiz. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> if I can, oh, here it is. There's my uh, rubbish or recycle? Rubbish. Yeah, okay. So even though it looks like it could be used again, that's rubbish. Okay. Yep. Uh, paper bag. So bags are a funny thing. They don't want bags because it gets caught up in their machine. I mean, technically, it could be... This is for recycling, me? Yes, because they have a recycling machine that they separated up at uh, the JRM plant up there. They don't want any kind of, like, plastic bag. So this could be recyclable. This is the bag that you're holding it, no good. That's not, that's, that's trash. rubbish. Trash. Okay. So the, now, if some other city and towns have other different ways, but in Malden, this would be trash because it binds up their separator and they don't take that. That's recycling. Okay, but it should be, it has to be cleaned off. Cleaned up, just like that one. If you have soiled or anything, that's trash. Yeah. That's recycling. Hey, how about glass? Glass, yeah, is recycling, yep. So you could recycle milk, milk bottles, uh, gallon bottles, of dust, uh, empty bottles of distilled water, yep. orange yep. juice. Uh, well, depending if it's cardboard or not, or if it's some yeah. other material, because it's different, but those, those are recycling. They're not going to reject anything like that. Tin. That's a good one. I, I, think, I think that would be recycling, um, but it could be trash. I'm not really sure. You might have me on that one. It's empty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd get away with it. Let's put it that way. No one's going to reject it for that. Yeah. Nope. That's a plastic bag. That would bind up the okay, machine. Okay, I thought so, yeah. More plastic? More plastic. No good. More plastic? That would. That should be fine. That would be like a water bottle. That could be recyclable, I would say. Okay. Well, that's more plastic. No good for that, yeah. That's recyclable, yep. 
Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, that's plastic, right? Yes. Yeah, that's recyclable. Yep. Oh, I throw them away. Oh, that's well, interesting. See that? You just learned something. You could put that in the recycling. Yeah. Pill bottles. That's re that's recycling. Yeah. yeah. That's recyclable too. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I well, I've learned something today because. Yeah. Uh, and the bag goes not recycling. That's you true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, the. Uh, there is a, a waste wizard that we have online that you can sign up for. It's free. And if you have any questions, you put punch it in, a water bottle, a milk cut, and they'll tell you what's recyclable, what's trash, and all that. Um, so that's something that you can sign up for on the City of Marlin webpage. And so people themselves can... Uh... Yeah, you can go on there and punch in what your, your question is. You know, egg cotton. And it, w and it will say, you know, it's trash. So there is a... There is a waste wizard system. Um, now that's interesting, because I thought that being paper, that would be recyclable. Yeah, and I think you would get away with that. The only fact, the, like, I, I think that would be fine. Yeah. yeah. The plastic bags, though, no. Paper bag, I think it'd be okay. Yeah. Pizza boxes. If it's soiled, it's trash. Yeah. In which case, it, most often it is soiled. Yeah, you're yeah, going to get yeah, grease yeah. From, the from the pizza on some part of the box. Yeah. You know, uh, I thought I had read somewhere one time that the um, uh, the recycle bags, once they go to the place to be sorted through, a lot of them have to be discounted because they're not really qualified to do it either. Like it could be a pizza box, it could be things that with food remnants on them, or, or sometimes they just don't. They don't like you said. Some paper bags may not qualify because of the machine. So they have up there at um, the JRM plant on Route 1, they go through and it separates everything and the good stuff, the bad stuff, and there is stuff that shouldn't be in there that is then designated as trash. Yeah. They have uh, sifters that go through it as it's coming through the line and, and pull the things that are not not uh, acceptable. Yeah. And they'll have some rubbish out of that because you know, a lot of it, is the education piece where people don't know. And even me that is involved with every day, there does come something along the way that I say, that sh should be recycling. And then it's, you know, so there's, there's, there is always things that are put in there that shouldn't be. And, um, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a moving, moving project with that. Well, in fact, the, the, um, the recycled stuff, uh, or even the the waste, is, is, is that's that's possible that they can use for energy in some fashion, can't they? Yeah, I'm not really sure how all that works, but yes, but yeah. I don't know how they do it from there. Once yeah. they take it, they you know. That's the end of it. That's the end of it for me. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, what it, what it crossed my mind was, for a long time, um, that was shipped off to to the Asia. Yeah. And. Uh, that was the, that was the market, and then uh, I think there's been whether it's the uh, the economy factor or the, the the relationship between countries isn't the same. I don't think that's now a, a big market. So no, uh, the market, like I said, the market for the recycling that that all has has changed. Where at one time they they got a lot of money for materials, and then it went to where they were making nothing on it. So that's why the part about in our contract that they own it where we don't pay for it, no matter whether it's good or bad, has been a, a huge savings for us in the city um, that we don't pay for the recycling because, you know, depending on how the market is, that's costing other city and towns some serious money. Yeah, now, do you, do you, do you have any other community you are aware of locally that... Uh, Free recycling? the same stipulation of the contract? I, I don't know all their contracts offhand, but I know most of them, they're paying for it. Yeah. They're, they're paying for the yeah, removal of yeah, it. So yeah. it, was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty smart move yeah. by Mayor Howard at the time when he, when he did yeah. it. One of the ones he made that was smart. Now, you mentioned 37. Are you um, sometimes shorthanded? Do you have vacancies? Right yeah. now, I have a couple of people on Workman's Comp and one vacancy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this different. Like we need, a, we've been looking to hire a mechanic. We haven't been able to get one, but every city in town is having a shortage of that because obviously municipalities cannot pay what going prices for mechanics are, and they're so hard to find that we can't compete with the private world uh, in the municipalities. So people are making a lot more money 
going to work for Joe's Garage yeah. than coming here. Years ago, people came here and wanted to stay here for a long time, and there was a big pool of people to hire from. That has now since changed. Um, good quality work is, is at a demand, and private companies are willing to pay to pay for it. Yeah. So if you've got that talent, there's money to be made out there. Yeah. Do, you, do you get many complaints from the public uh, of missed uh, pickup for rubbish? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, probably less now than than before. Um, but yeah, we do things. Things happen, you know. They, you know, it's supposed to be out by seven a.m. They put it out. They put it out late. But there's all different things. But it does happen. We ha and we handle those calls, and we'll go by if it's a repeat house that every week is having a problem. Then we know there's more to the story. But we try to resolve every issue within 24 hours for for rubbish or recycling or. Yard waste for for missed stops or problem stops, we monitor that pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I could. I, I my own experience. I think they get they give pretty good service. The rubbish company, uh, they could do a little a little bit better sometimes in terms of once they take it, the, the, the containers, the, the dump them in the truck, putting them back on the putting sidewalk. I never paid much attention because a lot of times it's on the it's hanging off the curb or whatever. And then one day I was out walking down uh, Cross Street towards the, the school on Frerian Cross. There wasn't one rubbish barrel on the street. And, and I, I did, of course, it dawned on me, that street, so with the tra two-way traffic, the people, uh, the cars would be hitting the... Hitting the yeah. So they, they're a little bit more uh, sensitive about making sure they leave the it on the sidewalk. But, yeah. but actually, uh, but I also can see with sometimes with the number of cars on the street, you could be driving down and you would miss the container because it's parked Behind on the sidewalk, car. but a car meantime during the night, maybe over the morning, pulled up in front of your house. If they were coming down the street, they wouldn't even see it. Yeah, uh, it does happen. Yeah. It does happen, but we, we, you know, we're right on top of that. Yeah. When they People sometimes bring their rubbish down to the city yard, don't they? Recycling, you can drop off. We, can, we do not accept rubbish down there because we're not a licensed transfer station, so we cannot accept your household trash, but we do accept recycling materials and also yard waste materials. Yeah, and and uh, uh, how about Christmas trees when we get to the end of the season? Well, the good news, for, that's a good question where we're at right now. So I just confirmed uh, our Christmas tree pickup will be the week of January 8th to the 12th which is after Little Christmas for anyone that still knows about Little Christmas. June 6th, January 6th. Yep, yep. So uh, the 8th to the 12th will be curbside pickup. No garland, uh, tinsel, or anything on the tree, no plastic bags. Put them out, and there'll be a separate pickup for that on that week on your trash day. Yeah. Um, also, another thing that the mayor did last year, which I'm pretty sure he's going to do again this year, I don't know if I'm supposed to let the cat out of the bag yet, but they, it's going to be coming that the mayor wants to um, give a week of uh, Christmas week where we allow you to put a regular bag out for uh, pickup because most people, the trash is a little heavier on Christmas week, so not clean outs or extra bulk items or clean your garage out, but if you got a few extra bags, we're going to accept um, regular bags on that week, one week only. Now, who picks up the trees? Same company, same company, Republic. Yep. But th there's some value to them, isn't there? It's compost. It's like yeah, just like yard waste. It costs us additionally for for that, like it does for adding any yard waste week. Um, they take it and you know compost it. But yeah, we don't we don't do anything yeah. with it. Now, now the 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 bags. Um, how how do you educate the new residents of the of the city in terms of the way the system works for pickup? So normally what, the way we find out is someone new moves to the city and they put their trash out in a regular green bag or a white bag or whatever and it doesn't get picked up. That generates a phone call saying my trash wasn't picked up. And then my staff in the office will ask the questions, uh, well, what time did you put it out? Is it in a blue bag? Do you have it? And then we get to the bottom that they just moved there and they're not aware of the program. So we also have an inspector that's out there on the street that if he sees in the travels, something that's not properly bagged, he'll leave a notice I've on, seen that. On, on it, a sticker yeah. Yeah. saying uh, unacceptable trash or 
multiple bulk items or whatever that the offense is, which then generates a, a call to say, what am I doing wrong? And we explain it to them. So usually after the first time of a newer homeowner not knowing what to do, pretty quick they're going to become aware on how the program works because of the phone calls from not getting it picked up. Yeah. Now, the barrels that are made available to the residents, someone moves in, whether they're a homeowner or a tenant, um, but presumably a tenant might have a barrel left over from the former person moved in. But um, when they first came in with that current system, they actually said he gave you the, the barrels. We gave the barrels to everybody for free. Right. And what we also do, which was only supposed to be a short-term thing, but we've continued to do it, it actually, we sell them for a loss. If you need an extra barrel, whether it be recycling or trash, we sell them for $20. You can't get a, a wheeled tote for $20. You go to any Home Depot or Lowe's, you're paying a lot more. So we sell them for $20 down the DPW yard, less than we pay yeah. to buy them. Yeah. So yeah. we do everything we can to try to help the residents uh, you know, accommodate them to, yeah. to the programs. Yeah. yeah, I get bags, uh, the blue bags, CVS has them, and uh, Shop and Shop has them. Yeah. I, um, they used to be uh, uh, one of the one of those variety stores that had them. They must in, in Linden, but I don't know how many other locations they have. There the used to be a real lot that had them. I don't know that there's a lot of the Marin Park convenience stores now. How many there are? Put, some. No, they only they only want to sell lottery tickets. That's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. They, they uh, but but CVS, Walgreens, Stop and Shop. You know, you can pretty much count on them yeah. having them. But there are some corner stores that still have them. They don't make any money on them, but you know everybody needs them. Or not, not now. You can get the barrel with the sticker, not need them. But um, CVS, Walgreens, those are the sure bets for having them. Yeah. Well, the other thing is you don't pay a sales tax on, on the. On no, the, no, the price is the same. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Now, uh, there's different size blue bags. What's the logic to that? Well, a single person at home that doesn't generate a lot of trash doesn't need to buy a $2 bag and fill it up because they don't generate that much trash. So it's kind of, uh, you know, three different sizes, and you you dictate on what you feel you need. If, if I lived by myself, which I don't, but if I live by myself and I'm not home a lot and I only have a little trash, well, I might want to buy the 8-ounce bag. And then if, you know, someone like a family like me, you buy the 32-ounce bag. So uh, yeah, it just gives you a different option to, to service many different people's needs. So what is it? The bigger the bag, the less bags you get, but the price is the same? Uh, no, so it's five It's $2 a bag for the big bags. Yeah. And I think the little bags are 50 cents a bag. Oh, uh, yeah, oh okay. Yeah, so, yeah. And then you get the next one, I think it's a dollar a bag. So there was three different sizes. Right, yeah. Um, you know, there's not so many of the real little, little ones, because I think basically you'd have to be a single person that doesn't generate a lot of trash. I don't see a lot of them out there. Yeah. Um, so, but it was just another option to give people a choice. Yeah. You know, um, that you don't, maybe you don't need to buy the $2 bag. Yeah. You know, and maybe you're someone that has a family that needs to buy multiple $2 bags. So, not, it's not one size fits all. Everybody's different, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned maintenance of the parks. Uh, there's been a lot of work done on drafted parks. Uh, Amherst Park, excuse me. Is that project almost done? At Amherst? Is it? Or is it Deva. I'm sorry, Deva. Deva Park, the I think the first phase, phase is yeah. First phase is done. We just did the grand opening, you know, a month ago over there yeah. with Councilor Condon, the mayor, and um, Councilor Spadafore, and a bunch of different councils. But that was the opening. Well, the um, other thing is whatever questions I haven't asked, if someone had a question, do you have a phone number they could call that, that there would be someone there that could respond to them? Absolutely. You can reach me anytime uh, via email at rnox at cityofmalvin.org. You can call the office 781-397-7160. And, you know, Facebook, Twitter, multiple different ways you can get a hold of me. And one more time for the phone numbers. For the people that didn't get to a pen before you started talking. 781-397-7160 is the office number. Well, well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We'll be re Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And um, if you haven't 
had a question answered that you needed to know something about, Mr. Knox is the Any man to talk to at that phone number. Anytime, 781-397-7160 or email me. I'm on 24-7 year-round. I'm easy to find and I'll answer all your questions. And we're all over. Thank you. <laughs> That's, That's it. Great, Bobby.